Welcome to the Preservation Technology Podcast. I'm Kevin Ammons, and today we join NCPTT's David Morgan as he speaks with Graeme Earl of the University of Southampton in the UK about digital survey methods in archaeology. Welcome, Graham. What is the Portis Project? The Portis Project, it's basically a collaboration between a whole bunch of people in the UK and in Italy and elsewhere. And it's a project mostly directed by Southampton University, British School at Rome and Cambridge. And we're looking at what's the imperial port of of Rome. It was probably the the biggest classical port of the first and, and second century. What is the project's focus and where do you stand in terms of its schedule? What the project is focusing on is some excavation and site survey, looking also surveying the wider landscape, and from my perspective, looking at how various kinds of technology can be used to help on an ongoing excavation and survey project. The project's been running for over 10 years in total because we've had a long series of geophysical seasons. We've done about 250 hectares of geophysics on the site, plus some marine geophysics We've done some marine geophysics on, on the hexagonal basin as well. So pretty much every area, you know, anywhere near the site that isn't underneath the modern airport, we've done some geophysics. What kinds of archaeological materials are you finding? I mean, the artifact it, it, it density is quite great, but it's, it tends to be mostly things like quite workaday items like building material. Uh, the area where we're excavating is, is the industrial and commercial centre, really. So you're looking at very much building materials, large lumps of, of masonry. You're not getting the, uh, the fine, you know, beautiful kinds of finds that, that, we, that we perhaps excavate in, in Egypt, where the, the preservation is so much better. But you're getting an awful lot of material, certainly. The evidence that survives underground is fantastic, but there's also quite a lot surviving above ground. I mean, the, the scale of it is quite difficult to appreciate, but you're looking at warehouses that are maybe a couple of hundred metres long and, and 50 metres wide, and it's, it's, it's all big stuff, so, uh, so it's, it's quite a challenge for us working there. What does it mean for an archaeological record to be born digital, and how does that apply to the Portis Project? Born digital in archaeological terms normally relates to capturing data on site, as you say, in a digital fashion, not using a conventional, maybe, context sheet, not using conventional methods for planning, and drawing up surveys and so on. At Portis, we are experimenting with a lot of these techniques to to create a born digital record. But what we're also able to do is to try and see how they relate to more conventional approaches. Is it better to have someone sat there with a computer and a wireless network and typing in context information or typing in their geophysics grid location data straight away? Or is it actually better to have somebody entering data in, you know, on a piece of paper, on the you know, back of a notebook, however they want to do it, and then afterwards bring the data together and put it in some kind of digital archive? We've got to end up with the digital record. At Portis, we're trying to see whether actually using a born digital record helps at all in all aspects of, of archaeological practice. I think the, the jury's still out on that. How have archaeologists adapted to creating born digital data? comes down to familiarity really. If you're familiar with using a trowel and a pencil and a piece of permatrace, 
then that's a kind of the, the place where you think about the archaeology that you're doing. If you're really familiar with using a mouse or, I don't know, some kind of VR equipment or whatever, you know, some technological process, if that's where you're most familiar, then that's where your archaeological engagement happens. That's where your interpretations derive from. The problems occur when you have someone who is very familiar with the computing who's not so experienced with maybe the tactile excavation process or vice versa. But if you're not familiar, if the computer is something that worries you, that you feel is falsely objectifying your data, for example, then it's not going to be a good thing to think with. It's not going to be a good way of re-excavating the data. What technologies have the greatest potential to yield more digital data? Technologies that require the least change in the way that you practice. So you use something that the excavator is familiar with, the camera, bolt on a few gizmos, sighting, flashing and, and whizzing things, and then you produce some new useful archaeological record at the end of it. What are these PTMs and how are they used? Polynomial texture maps or PTMs were a technology that was invented by a guy called Tom Malsbender at Hewlett-Packard Labs. If you're um, familiar with recording something like rock art panels or if you're working with inscriptions, it's a, a good example from over here, what you do when you're, when you're taking that photograph is you try and get the best light. You try and get the best raking light so you can see the details. What PTMs are, really, is a way of capturing that variability in light and shade. A, a few of us in archaeology have started to, to use this particular technique. So there's um, cultural heritage imaging over there in the States who've been pretty much key players in it, and, and ourselves trying to use it as an embedded practice within an archaeological project. So as well as using it to record maybe something that's in a museum collection or some rock art, we wanted to try and use it as a technique that was used day in, day out, just as a standard part of the, uh, the post-excavation process. I mean, the, one of the, the greatest things about the technology, you know, if you come to write a text and you want to produce a static image, you set up your virtual lights within the PTM, freeze the image, and there you've got just a perfectly composed find image. You can tell people that it's amazing what they can do with a, a camera, a flashlight, and a shiny ball. What is virtual reality and how do you use it in archaeology? If you want to be um, specific about what virtual reality is, virtual reality implies a kind of computer graphic model that you can interact with. There are lots of different terms for what this is. There's virtual archaeology, there's virtual reality archaeology, there's, as I say, computer graphic imagery, there's a whole host of them. But basically we're just talking about methods primarily drawn from the film industry, yeah, the things that make Gladiator look beautiful, and using those kind of technologies. Computer graphic models provide a really intuitive, quick way to convey what are really complicated interpretive processes. Is there a danger inherent in the disnification of cultural heritage? That's an, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting term. I'd say I, I really don't have any problem at all with the disnification, the popularization of cultural heritage. I think that the more people we can reach out to and demonstrate to the magic of Portus or the magic of the, you know, the archaeology of Louisiana, the better. The more we can convey our own excitement for the discipline, which we've developed over however many years, if we have a chance to demonstrate or, or to pass on that kind of excitement 
through maybe quite a simplified, exciting presentation, then that's great. Because I think the more we do that, more people will care about cultural heritage and fewer bad things will happen to cultural heritage. That doesn't mean that we have, we give people carte blanche to lie about the past and to present a past as if we know all of the facts. But I don't think that you, you have to have a very bland, sterile presentation of the past in order to be true to your archaeological principles. I think you can convey the magic and the interpretation and the flamboyance of, of, of some of the practices as well as being true to, to the archaeology. And I think we'll have a lot to gain from, you know, from partnerships with, with people like Disney or Pixar, people who know how to tell these kinds of stories. We know about the past and why don't we work together in, in, in presenting better stories. One of the biggest problems with virtual interpretation is missing information. How do you handle missing data? We're very good at taking portions of information and looking at all of the other correlating data sources, things that are maybe better preserved at other sites, mixing and matching, but, but doing it in a consistent fashion and then bring it together to form one or, or preferably a series of interpretations. So again, I, I don't think that the production of computer graphic models differs from any other kind of aspect of, of archaeological process. Again, it's incumbent upon us to be true to the data as much as we can and to make sure that the representations of the archaeology is as near as, as possible, as close to the truth as we understand it. So I don't think you can use technology as a way to make it any clearer what data there really are. I think we've been maybe a little bit too worried in the past about computer images being overly convincing or computer representations being overly kind of scientific. I think we can take a step back and say, people who are looking at these, they, they know how, they know all about Pixar, they know that you can make things up, but they have to trust us that we're archeologists, we're not in the business of making up, we're in the business of interpreting. What are some of the biggest problems with the adoption of these new technologies? practical problem, a practical consideration comes down to cost in various ways of measuring it. You know, you don't have to have ludicrous computers, you don't have to have very expensive software, but to a degree, the better software that you have, the more computers you have to produce the work, the more time you have, the more person hours you have to dedicate to the project, the better the results that you're going to get. Okay, so there is always some kind of cost implication. And computer graphics, in, in particular, is very processor intensive. The bigger the computer you have, the better the results you have quicker. So that's always a limitation. The, the great thing is that if you, the more data you get like that now, so if you get your, your XRS data, because the, the computer graphics technologies enable you to represent all of that data in a physically accurate way, you know that when you look at the image, it definitely isn't just a pretty picture because it's based on the, a simulation of the interaction between light, the pigment, the surface of the marble, deeper down, the surface, subsurface scattering within the marble. And the computer graphics now are at a stage where the first time you know that it's physically right. It doesn't just look right, it's physically, it's, it's physically, physically right. The example I use is look at Shrek 1, 2, and 3, and look at Shrek's skin. Shrek's skin 3, if there's a real ogre in the world, then, then it would look exactly like Shrek. 
Thanks very much for joining us today, Graham. That was David Morgan talking to Graham Earl about digital survey methods in archaeology. If you'd like to learn more about this project, visit our podcast show notes at the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training website. That's ncptt.nps.gov. Until next time, goodbye, everybody.